Part three, chapter seven of By What Authority by Robert Hugh Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Northern Religion the northern counties were distinguished among all in england for their loyalty to the old faith and this was owing no doubt to the characters of both the country and the inhabitants it was difficult for the officers of justice to penetrate to the high moorland and deep ravines and yet more difficult to prevail with the persons who lived there twenty-two years before the famous lancashire league had been formed under the encouragement of dr allen afterwards the cardinal whose members pledged themselves to determined recusancy with the result that here and there church doors were closed and the book of common prayer utterly refused owing partly to bishop downman's laxity towards the recusants the principles of the league had retained their hold throughout the county ever since sixty eight when ten obstinate lancastrians had been hailed before the council of whom one the famous sir john southworth himself suffered imprisonment more than once anthony and isabel then found their life in the north very different to that which they had been living at stanfield near the towns of course precaution was as necessary as anywhere else in england but once they had passed up on to the higher moorlands they were able to throw off all anxiety as much as if the penal laws of england were not enforced there it was pleasant too to go as they did from great house to great house and find the old pre-reformation life of england in full vigour the whole family present at mass so often as it was said desirous of the sacraments and thankful for the opportunities of grace that the arrival of the priest afforded isabel would often stay at such houses a week or two together while anthony made rounds into the valleys and to the moorland villages round about and then the two would travel on together with their servants to the next village anthony's ecclesiastical outfit was very simple among isabel's dresses lay a brocade vestment that might easily pass notice if the luggage was searched and anthony carried in his own luggage a little altar-stone a case with the holy oils a tiny chalice and paten singing cakes and a thin vellum-bound missal and ritual in one volume containing the order of mass a few votive masses and the usual benedictions for holy water rue and the like and the occasional offices in this manner they first visited many of the famous old lancashire houses some of which still stand borwick hall hall of the wood lydiate hall thurnham blainscoe where campion had once been so nearly taken and others all of which were provided with secret hiding-places for the escape of the priest should a sudden alarm be raised in none of them however did he find the same elaboration of device as at stanfield place first however they went to speak hall the home of mr norrie's on the banks of the mersey a beautiful house of magpie architecture and furnished with a remarkable underground passage to the shore of the mersey the scene of richard Britton's escape here they received a very warm welcome it is as i wrote to mr buxton 
said his host on the evening of their arrival in many places in this country any religion other than the catholic is unknown the belief of the protestant is as strange as that of the turk both utterly detested i was in cumberland a few months back there in more than one village the old worship goes on as it has done since christianity first came to this island but i hope you will go up there now that you have come so far you would do a great work for christ his church he told him too a number of stories of the zeal and constancy shown on behalf of the religion of small squires who were completely ruined by the fines laid upon them of old halls that were falling to pieces through the ruin brought upon their staunch owners and above all of the priests that lancashire had added to the roll of the martyrs anderton marsden and thompson among others and of the joy shown when the glorious news of their victory over death reached the place where they had been born or where they had ministered at preston he said when the news of mr greenaway's death reached them they tolled the bells for sorrow but his old mother ran from her house to the street when they had broken the news to her peel them peel them she cried for i have borne a martyr to god he talked too of campion of his sermons on the king who went a journey and the hail mary and told him of the escape at blainscoe hall where the servant girl seeing the pursuivants at hand pushed the jesuit with quick wit and courage into the duck pond so that he came out disguised indeed in green mud and was mocked at by the very officers as a clumsy suitor of maidens anthony's heart warmed within him as he sat and listened to these tales of patience and gallantry i would lay down my life to serve such folk he said and isabel looked with deep kindled eyes from the one to the other they did not stay more than a day or two at speak hall for as mr norrie said the necessaries of salvation were to be had there already but they moved on almost at once northwards always arriving at some central point for saturdays and sundays so that the catholics round could come in for shrift and housel in this manner they passed up through lancashire and pushed still northwards hearing that a priest was sorely needed through the corner of westmoreland up the lake country through into cumberland itself at kendall where they stayed two nights anthony received a message that determined him after consultation with isabel to push on as far as giddah and to make that the extreme limit of his journey he sent the messenger a wild-looking north countryman back with a verbal answer to that effect and named a date when they would arrive it was already dark two weeks later when they arrived at the point where the guide was to meet them as they had lost their way more than once already here were a couple of men with torches waiting for them behind a rock who had come down from the village a mile farther on to bring them up the difficult stony path that was the only means of access to it the track went up a ravine with a rock wall rising on their left on which the light of the torches shone and tumbled ground covered with heather falling rapidly away on their right down to a gulf of darkness whence they could hear the sound of the torrent far below the path was uneven with great stones here and there and sharp corners in it and as they went it was all they could do to keep their tired horses from stumbling 
for a slip would have been dangerous under the circumstances the men who led them said little as it was impossible for a horse and a man to walk abreast but anthony was astonished to see again and again as they turned a corner another man with a torch and some weapon a pike or a sword start up and salute him or sometimes a group with barefooted boys and then attach themselves to the procession either before or behind until in a short while there was an escort of some thirty or forty accompanying the cavalcade at last as they turned a corner the lighted windows of a belfry showed against the dark moor beyond and in a moment more as if there were a watcher set there to look out for the torches a peal of five bells clashed out from the tower then as they rose yet higher the path took a sudden turn and a dip between two towering rocks and the whole village lay beneath them with lights in every window to welcome the priest the first they had seen for eight months when the old marian rector the elder brother of the squire had died it was now late so anthony and isabel were conducted immediately to the hall an old house immediately adjoining the churchyard and here too the windows were blazing with welcome and the tall squire mr bryan with his wife and children behind was standing before the bright hall door at the top of the steps the men and boys that had brought them so far and were standing in the little court with their torches uplifted now threw themselves on their knees to receive the priest's blessing before they went home and anthony blessed them and thanked them and went indoors with his sister strangely moved and uplifted the two following days were full of hard work and delight for anthony he was to say mass at half-past six next morning and came out of the house a little after six o'clock the sun was just rising to his right over a shoulder of skiddaw which dominated the eastern horizon and all round him stretched against the sky in all directions were the high purple moors in the strange dawn light immediately in front of him not thirty yards away stood the church with its tower two aisles and a chapel on a little promontory of rock which jutted out over the bed of the torrent along which he had climbed the night before and to his left lay the straggling street of the village all was perfectly still except for the dash of the stream over the rocks but from one or two houses a thin skein of smoke was rising straight into the air anthony stood wrapped in delight and drew long breaths of the cool morning air laden with freshness and fragrant with the mellow scent of the heather and the autumnal smells he was completely taken by surprise when he entered the church for for the first time since he could remember he saw an english church in its true glory it had been built for a priory church of holm coltram but for some reason had never been used as that and had become simply the parish church of the village across the centre and the northern aisle ran an elaborate screen painted in rich colours and the southern chapel which ran eastwards out of the porch was separated in a similar way from the rest of the church over the central screen was the great rood with its attendant figures exquisitely carved and painted in every direction as anthony looked beyond the screens gleamed rich windows with figures and armorial bearings here and there tattered banners hung on the walls 
St. Christopher stood on the north wall opposite the door, to guard from violence all who looked upon him day by day. A little painting of the Baptist hung on a pillar over against the font, and a vernicle by the pulpit, and all round the walls hung little pictures that the poor and unlearned might read the story of redemption there. But the chief glory of all was the solemn high altar, with its riddles surmounted by taper-bearing gilded angels, with its brocade cloth and its painted halpas behind, and above it, before the rich window which smouldered against the dawn, hung the awful pyx, covered by the white silk cloth, but empty, waiting for the priest to come and bid the Shekinah of the Lord to brood there again over this gorgeous throne beneath, against the brilliant halo of the painted glass behind. Anthony knelt a moment and thanked God for bringing him here, and then passed up into the north aisle, where the image of the Mother of God presided, as she had done for three hundred years, over her little altar against the wall. Anthony said his preparation and vested at the altar, and was astonished to find at least thirty people to hear Mass. None, of course, made their communion, but Anthony, when he had ended, placed the body of the Lord once more in the hanging picks and lit the lamp before it. Then, all day, he sat in the north chapel, with the dash and loud thunder of the mountain stream entering through the open panes of the east window and the stained sunlight in gorgeous colors creeping across the red tiles at his feet glowing and fading as the clouds moved over the sun while the people came and were shriven with the exception of an hour in the middle of the day and half an hour for supper in the evening he was incessantly occupied until nine o'clock at night from the upland dales all round they streamed in at news of the priest and those who had come from far and were fasting he communicated at once from the reserved sacrament at last tired out but intensely happy he went back to the hall but the next morning was yet more startling mass was at eight o'clock and by the time anthony entered the church he found a congregation of nearly two hundred souls the village itself did not number above seventy but many came in from the country round and some had stayed all night in the church porch then too he heard the north country singing in the old way all the mass music was sung in three parts except the unchanging melody of the creed which like the tremendous and unchanging words themselves at one time had united the whole of england but what stirred anthony more than all were the ancient hymns sung here and there during the service some in latin which a few picked voices rendered and some in english to the old lilting tunes which were as much the growth of the north country as the heather itself the ave verum corpus was sung after the elevation and anthony felt that his heart would break for very joy as he bent before the body of his lord and the voices behind him rose and exulted up the aisles the women's and children's voices soaring passionately up in the melody the mellow men's voices establishing as it seemed these ecstatic pinnacles of song on mighty and immovable foundations 
vespers were said at three o'clock after baptisms and more confessions and anthony was astonished at the number of folk who could answer the priest after vespers he made a short sermon and told the people something of what he had seen in the south of the martyrdoms at tyburn and of the constancy of the confessors be thou faithful unto death he said so our saviour bids us and he gives us a promise too i will give thee a crown of life beloved some day the tide of heresy will creep up these valleys too and it will bear many things with it the scaffold and the gallows and the knife maybe and then our lord will see which are his then will be the time that grace will triumph that those who have used the sacraments with devotion that have been careful and penitent with their sins that have hungered for the bread of life the lord shall stand by them and save them as he stood by mr sherman on the rack and father campion on the scaffold and mistress ward and many more of whom i have not had time to tell you he who bids us be faithful himself will be faithful and he who wore the crown of thorns will bestow upon us the crown of life then they sang a hymn to our lady hail be thou mary the mother of christ and the old swaying tune rocked like a cradle and the people looked up towards their mother's altar as they sang their mother who had ruled them so sweetly and so long and entreated her in their hearts who stood by her son's cross to stand by theirs too should god ever call them to die upon one the next day mr bryan took anthony a long walk as soon as dinner was over across the moors towards the north side of skiddaw anthony found the old man a delightful and garrulous companion full of tales of the countryside historical religious naturalistic and supernatural as they stood on a little eminence and looked back to where the church tower pricked out of the deep crack in the moors where it stood he told them the tale of the coming of the pursuivants they first troubled us in seventy two he said they had not thought it worth while before to disturb themselves for one old man like my brother who was like to die soon but in april of that year they first sent up their men but it was only a pair of pursuivants for they knew nothing of the people they came up the poor men to take my brother down to cockermouth to answer on his religion to some bench of ministers that sat there well they met him in his cassock and square cap coming out to the church where he had just replaced the most holy sacrament after giving communion to a dying body eh are you the minister say they eh i am the priest if that is what you mean he answers back he was a large man like myself was my brother well come old man say they we must help you down to cockermouth well a few words passed and the end was that he called out to tim who lived just against the church and told them what was forward well the pursuivants got back to cockermouth with their lives but not much else 
and reported to the magistrates that the wild irish themselves were little pimony maids compared to the folk they had visited that day so there was a great to-do and a deal of talk and in the next month they sent up thirty pikemen with an officer and a dozen pursuivants and all to take one old priest and his brother i'd been in kendal in april when they first came but they put it all down to me well we were ready for them this time the bells had been ringing to call in the folk since six of the clock in the morning and by dinner-time when the soldiers were expected there was a matter of two hundred men i should say some with scythes and sickles and some with staves or shepherds crooks the children had been sent down sooner to stone the men all the way up the path and by the time they reached the churchyard gate there was not a man of them but had a cut or a bruise upon him then when they turned the corner black with wrath there were the lads gathered about the church porch each with his weapon and each white and silent waiting for what should fall now you wonder where we were we were in the church my brother and i for our people had put us there against our will to keep us safe they said eh but i was wroth when allroyd and the rest pushed me through the door however there we were locked in i was up in one window and my brother was in the belfry as i thought each trying to see what was forward i saw the two crowds of them silent and wrathful with not twenty yards between them and a few stones still silent among the soldiers now and again the pikes were being set in array and our lads were opening out to let the scythes have free play when on a sudden i heard the tinkle of a bell round the outside of the tower and i climbed down from my place and up again to one of the west windows there was a fearsome hush outside now and i could see some of the soldiers in front were uneasy they had their eyes off the lads and around the side of the tower and then i saw little dicky allroyd in his surplice ringing a bell and bearing a candle and behind him came my brother in a purple cope i had never set eyes on before with his square cap and a great book and his eyes shining out of his head and his lips opening and mouthing out latin and then he stopped laid the book reverently on a tombstone lifted both hands and brought them down with the fingers out and his eyes larger than ever i could see the soldiers were ready to break and scatter for some were catholics no doubt and many more feared the priest and then on a sudden my brother caught the candle out of dicky's hand blew it out with a great puff while dicky rattled upon the bell and then he dashed the smoking candle among the soldiers the soldiers broke and fled like hares out to the churchyard down the street and down the path to cockermouth the officer tried to stay with them but was no use the fear of the church was upon them and her grace herself could not have prevailed with them well when they let us out the lads were all a-trembling too for my brother's face they said 
was like the destroying angel and i was somewhat queer myself and i was astonished too for he was kind-hearted was my brother and would not hurt a fly's body much less damn his soul and after all the poor soldiers were not to blame and twas a queer cursin oh, i thought too to be done like that but maybe twas the new papal method i went round to the north chapel and there he was taken off his cope well he said to me how did i do it do it i said do it why you've damned those poor lads souls eternally the hand of the lord was with you i said damned them said he nonsense twas only your old herbal that i read at them and the cope too twas inside out then the old man told anthony other stories of his earlier life how he had been educated at the university and been at court in king henry's reign and queen mary's but that he had lost heart at elizabeth's accession and retired to his hills where he could serve god according to his conscience and study god's works too for he was a keen naturalist he told anthony many stories about the deer and the herds of wild white hornless cattle that were now practically extinct on the hills and of a curious breed of four-horned sheep skulls of all of which species hung in his hall and of the odd drinking horns that anthony had admired the day before there was one especially that he talked much of a buffalo horn on three silver feet fashioned like the legs of an armed man round the centre was a filleting inscribed qui punyat contra tres perdate duos and there was a cross pate on the horn and two other inscriptions noliti extolere cornu in altu and qui bibat me atuc siti mr bryan told him it had been brought from italy by his grandfather they put up a quantity of grouse and several hares as they walked across the moor one of the hares which had a curious patch of white between his ears like a little nightcap startled mr bryan so much that he exclaimed aloud crossed himself and stood a little pale watching the hare's head as it bobbed and swerved among the heather i like it not he said to anthony who inquired what was the matter satan hath appeared under some such form to many in history joachimus camerarius who wrote de natura daemonum tells i think a story of a hare followed by a fox that ran across the path of a young man who was riding on a horse and who started in pursuit up and down hills and dales they went and soon the fox was no longer there and the hare grew larger and blacker as it went and the young man presently saw that he was in a country that he knew not it was all barren and desolate round him and the sky grew dark then he spurred his horse more furiously and he drew nearer and nearer to the great hare that now skipped along like a stag before him and then as he put out his hand to cut the hare down the creature sprang into the air and vanished and the horse fell dead and the man was found in his own meadow by his friends in a swoon 
with his horse dead beside him and trampled marks round and round the field and the pug marks of what seemed like a great tiger beside him where the beast had sprung into the air when mr bryan found that anthony was interested in such stories he told him plenty of them especially tales that seemed to join in a strange unity of life demons beasts and men it was partly no doubt his studies as a naturalist that led him to insist upon points that united rather than divided the orders of creation and he told him stories first from such writers as michael verdunus and petrus burgotus who relate among other marvels how there are ointments by the use of which shepherds have been known to change themselves into wolves and tear the sheep that they should have protected and he quoted to him st augustine's own testimony to the belief that in italy certain women were able to change themselves into heifers through the power of witchcraft finally he told him one or two tales of his own experience in the year sixty-three he said before my marriage i was living alone in the hall i was a young man and did my best to fear naught but deadly sin i was coming back late from threlkeld round the south of skiddaw that you see over there and was going with a lantern for it would be ten o'clock at night and the time of year was autumn i was still a mile or two from the house and was saying my beads as i came for i hold that it is a great protection when i heard a strange whistling noise with a murmur in it high up overhead in the night it is the birds going south i said to myself for you know that great flocks fly by night when the cold begins to set in but the sound grew louder and more distinct and at last i could hear the sound as of words gabbled in a foreign tongue and i knew they were no birds though maybe they had wings like them but i knew that a christened soul in grace has naught to fear from hell so i crossed myself and said my beads and kept my eyes on the ground and presently i saw my lights burning in the house and heard the roar of the stream and the gabbling above me ceased as the sound of the running water began but that night i awoke again and again and the night seemed hot and close each time as if a storm was near but there was no thunder each time i heard the roar of the stream below the house and no more at last towards the morning i set my window wide that looks towards the stream and leaned out and there beneath me crowded against the wall of the house as i could see in the growing light was a great flock of sheep with all their heads together towards the house as close as a score of dogs could pack them and they were all as still as death and their backs were dripping wet for they had come down the hills and swum the stream in order to be near a christened man and away from what was abroad that night my shepherds told me the same that day that everywhere the sheep had come down to the houses as if terrified near to death and at keswick 
whither I went the next market day, they told me the same tale, and that two men had each found a sheep that could not travel. One had a broken leg, and the other had been cast, but neither had another mark or wound or any disease upon him, but that both were lying dead upon Skirah, and the look in the dead eyes, they said, was fit to make a man forget his manhood. Anthony found the old man the most interesting companion possible, and he persuaded him to accompany him on several of the expeditions that he had to make to the hamlets and outlying cottages round in his spiritual ministrations, and both he and Isabel were sincerely sorry when two Sundays had passed away and they had to begin to move south again in their journeyings. And so the autumn passed and winter began, and Anthony was slowly moving down again, supplying the place of priests who had fallen sick or had died, visiting many almost inaccessible hamlets, and everywhere encouraging the waverers, and seeking the wanderers, and rejoicing over the courageous, and bringing opportunities of grace to many who longed for them. He met many other well-known priests from time to time, and took counsel with them, but did not have time to become very intimate with any of them, so great were the demands upon his services. In this manner he met John Colleton, the canonist, who had returned from his banishment in eighty-seven, but found him a little dull and melancholy, though his devotion was beyond praise. He met, too, the Jesuit fathers, Edward Oldcorn and Richard Holtby, the former of whom had lately come from Hindlip. He spent Christmas near Cartmel in Furness, and after the new year had opened, crossed the Ken once more near Batum, and began to return slowly down the coast. Everywhere he was deeply touched by the devotion of the people, who, in spite of long months without a priest, had yet clung to the observance of their religion so far as was possible, and now welcomed him like an angel of God, and he had the great happiness, too, of reconciling some, who, yielding to loneliness and pressure, had conformed to the establishment. In these latter cases he was almost startled by the depth of Catholic convictions that had survived. "'I never believed it, father,' said a young squire to him, near Garstang. "'I knew that it was but a human invention, and not the gospel that my fathers held, and that Christ our Saviour brought on earth. But I lost heart, for that no priest came near us, and I had not had the sacraments for nearly two years.' and I thought that it were better to have some religion than none at all, so at last I went to church. But there's no need to talk to me, Father, now I've made my confession, for I know with my whole soul that the Catholic religion is the true one, and I have known it all the while, and I thank God and his blessed mother, and you, Father, too, for helping me to say so again and to come back to grace." At last, at the beginning of March, Anthony and Isabel found themselves back again at Speak Hall, warmly welcomed by Mr. Norries. "'You have done a good work for the church, Mr. Cappell,' said his host, "'and God will reward you and thank you for it himself, for we cannot.' "'And I thank God,' said Anthony, "'for the encouragement to faith that the sight of the faithful North has given to me.' and pray him that I may carry something of her spirit back with me to the south. 
there were letters waiting for him at speke hall one from mr buxton urging them to come back at least for the present to stanfield place so soon as the winter work in the north was over and another from the rector of the college at douay to the same effect there was also one more written from a little parish in kent from a catholic lady who was altogether a stranger to him but who plainly knew all about him entreating him to call at her house when he was in the south again her husband she said had met him once at stanfield and had been strongly attracted by him to the catholic church and she believed that if anthony would but pay them a visit her husband's conversion would be brought about anthony could not remember the man's name but isabel thought that she did remember some such person at a small private conference that anthony had given in mr buxton's house for the benefit of catholics and those who were being drawn towards the religion the lady too gave him instructions as to how he should come from london to her house recommending him to cross the thames at a certain spot that she described near greenhithe and to come on southwards along a route that she marked for him to the parish of stanstead where she lived this then was soon arranged and after letters had been sent off announcing anthony's movements he left speke hall with isabel about a fortnight later End of chapter seven